In the stock market, there's a prescribed way and framework for you to value the assets and companies that you're investing in. Some would argue that Bitcoin and the crypto space have no fundamentals and therefore we have no framework and no way to understand what our assets are worth. But using on-chain metrics and other creative ways of looking at these projects, protocols, and companies, there are ways to fundamentally value cryptocurrencies. Josh Frank tells us how. That's dope. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to move on with the next fireside chat. If you guys were here yesterday, you probably uh, caught the conversation that Josh and I had uh, about how to analyze on-chain data and use that on-chain data to make wise investing decisions. Well, today, we're going to focus more on how you value things in crypto fundamentally and use the stock market and other assets sort of as a comparison. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that there's an existing framework for how to value a company or a stock, right? You have earnings and dividends, and it just is very obvious whether it's accurate or not. Everybody knows how to look at it and, and what lens to look at it through. Do we have that in crypto? Yeah, so I think it's 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 a really difficult and and it's a good question, um, and I think it's it's this kind of it's flowed and it's changed over time. Like I would argue that the only fundamental that crypto had in twenty. 13 or 2012 until 2018 was probably sentiment. It was really, what do people think about this asset? Uh, and I think we're starting to see fundamentals emerge more. I think you know the thing about fundamentals, and I think I may have mentioned this yesterday, is the fact that it only they only really matter if they're widely accepted, right? Something isn't fundamental if only one person believes that it's fundamental. It has to be held by the majority. And I think we're starting to see a number of things take shape. I don't think that they're necessarily the right fundamentals, but I think there are things that people, you know, think about as being fundamental. So for example, protocol revenue is one example of that which which I think could be a very misleading metric. Uh, and I'm happy to talk about, you know, I know we talked about it a bit yesterday why why it is or why it can be. I think you know, developers uh, and developer growth and things like that have have become fundamental. Um, I think things like you know social sentiment and, and the consensus have been, but I think we need to move to a, a better set of fundamental metrics that are similar or akin to our understanding of equity markets. And I think it starts with: Does this token? accrue value to the token holders? I think that's the first question that we need to ask ourselves. And then if the answer is yes, it's, okay, what are all of the things that would lead me to want to hold that token? And and it, it also is the case that we need to do that on a on a per sector basis. So for example, GameFi, right? Like the way that I want to start thinking about GameFi fundamentals are how many people are actually using this game, right? How active are the people that are using that game? How many hours per day are they spending on that game? And we could start to understand these things by looking at transactions on smart contracts. Because if we can see, for example, on a particular game on Avalanche, for example, that you know somebody who's playing the game you know, had some sort of transaction, and we need to start to quantify what that actually means in terms of being active. But I think there's, you know, we can start looking at usage and activity and things like that on GameFi. I think for DeFi, that's really where we start to see things look a lot more similar to equity fundamentals, where it is, what are the revenue of this protocol? And I think one thing that we need to keep in mind, and I think it's something that's not being discussed, is what is the revenue if you remove liquidity incentives? So if you move basically, 
user getting paid to participate in this, would there actually be any revenue? Because we've seen with a number of things like LooksRare, for example, where there are incentives to wash trade these assets. And so I think we need to kind of take non-incentivized activity out of there and start looking at like, hey, if there were no other incentives, what would the real activity be? Because I mean, we, we see the same problem in equity markets too, though, where they're like, I don't know if you remember like Getter and all like these 15-minute delivery service apps where like, wow, there's five million people using this app. But by the way, it cost us $90 to deliver you eggs, which the user is paying two dollars to buy. Right. So I think we need to start looking at at you know, with that that kind of lens as well. But I think it's much easier to look at crypto from a venture perspective as opposed to looking at crypto from like more of like a like I like to think of cryptocurrencies more as privately traded companies as opposed to publicly traded companies. In that, you know, I think we need to look at them with more of a venture mindset as opposed to you know what 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 this thing could be if the TAM grows as opposed to what this thing is now. Because if we're looking at these assets in terms of what they are now, the answer is not much of anything. And so I think that that mindset is incredibly important. If you've been following me for the last few months, then you definitely know that I've been trading and investing on BitGet. Now listen, it took me six months to decide that they were going to be the sponsor for the newsletter. But once I saw their partnership with Juventus, that they were the world's leading copy trading platform in crypto, and also that they're a top five exchange by volume, well, I was sold and I was convinced. And I've been using it ever since to dollar cost average and to invest in Bitcoin. You can also trade there with leverage, but of course, be careful if you're gonna do that. And I don't know if you saw the recent news, but they've also done a deal with Lionel Messi. Now, you can get up to an $8,000 bonus using my link below, and you can trade spot with absolutely no fees. You also get a 15% discount on trading leverage. Go ahead and sign up right now using the wolfofallstreets.info slash bitget. Claim that huge reward and use the world's best trading platform. Very reminiscent of the dot-com bubble in the late 90s and 2000s, which a lot of people view as negative. I view it as a positive because the biggest companies in the world arose from that. But what you're talking about harkens back to those days when it was all about network and how many people, but had nothing to do with earnings or finance. Companies could lose billions and billions of dollars a year, but as long as they were growing in their customer base, they were perceived as gaining value. Is that the way that we should be looking at these now? Is that a lesson from that era? I think what we need to look at is once the incentive dry, the incentives dry up or the users being uh, retained, right? So, you know, with with a lot of these assets where you know users getting paid to provide liquidity, or they're expecting an airdrop, or their their work to earning, as you mentioned on your last <laughs> on your last session, um, what is the retention of those users after that that dries up? Because you know, I, I want to know: Does anyone actually care about any of these assets? And you know, what is the community after all is said and done? Who's actually excited about the protocol? I think that's incredibly important. I think what we also need to look at, which we're not looking at, is what are the demographics of the people using the particular application? I think that's actually really interesting. And it's actually relatively simple to do. Like we can look at time of day of people transacting to kind of back out where, at least geographically, we think the user base lies. Because, like, 
Look, I think you guys talked about stepping in, in the Philippines or, or sorry, Axie in the Philippines. Look, I think it's great that folks in the Philippines want to use Axie, but that's not a really small market, right? These are people that are, I mean, it's such a small market that they're making more money from Axie than they are at their jobs, right? So there's not a huge addressable market. That doesn't mean Axie should be worth billions of dollars. So we can also look at things like from a, from a chain perspective is how wealthy are the users that are actually interacting with this. And so if the users are continuing to come back after those incentives dry up and they're wealthy users and they're in, you know, time zones that we, you know, we associate with with people that can provide a tremendous amount of economic value to these applications. I think that's the thing that, that that's that's quite exciting. Is that theoretical or is that happening with any specific apps that you've seen or platforms as of now? Because I think we're still in that phase of you buy the asset, you stake it, you earn your yield, and you're not really concerned with what it does. Yeah, I, I, th- I think we are. I mean, that's why I let off with fundamentals are only fundamental if people believe in them. Um, and and so, you know, we're obviously trying to pioneer a lot of that. We actually just rolled out. Um, it's not even announced yet, so I don't know if you're live streaming or not. So it's going to be announced. No, it's not recorded. live. Okay, so not so. So you guys are the ones to find out. We're rolling out like really good unlock data today. My team spent over a year of man hours with U.S. based people to build the data, and like I think that's really fundamental and important to the space. And I think that's one thing that people are. Are ready to start looking at when they think about fundamentals because you mentioned staking to me staking is just inflation that's all it is it's just new assets coming onto the market and it's like incredibly important when you're making an investment decision to understand inflation there are certain assets on the market where only five percent of the supply is liquid today what does that mean that means that potentially depending on the time frame some tokens are going to have 20x the supply in the next 36 months, which means, I mean, that's totally fundamental to your understanding of the asset because if there's not increased demand equivalent to that supply, we're only going down from here. And so I think people need to start to look at this data. I think people are starting in a bear market, people care more about fundamentals, which is great. And I think that these things are going to emerge, but I think we need to have like realistic conversations. And I'm not suggesting that I have any or all of the answers, but I think we need to start throwing all of these ideas on the table and having conversations as to like, how should we think about supply changes as it relates to that? Like, I don't think we can back out a dollar and cents value for these tokens, but I can tell you, you know, for example, Polygon has an unlock coming up in in a few weeks, which is equivalent to, uh, I think, 3% of the market cap of Polygon. That's really significant. And it's not a bad thing. It was, was, you know, it was decided ahead of time. In some cases, they change, or in some cases, things go on that are quite weird. But how does that impact the token's valuation? And and, and we can model that out over time. It's, it's, It's quite easy. So, I think that the market is ready for fundamentals. I think that people just need to stop looking at vanity metrics, and nothing bothers me more than like this idea of taking single metrics as being the total truth. Like nothing bo- bothered me more than that stupid stock to flow metric. I mean, like it just it, it asinine, just like completely idiotic. It makes no sense. It doesn't take into account anything macro, anything about Bitcoin adoption, anything. It's just, you can't look at a single metric in isolation. I think the way that we start to develop, you know, fundamental valuation frameworks is by, is by building a taxonomy that's widely adopted on these assets and then determining, depending on what type of asset it is, how we actually think about the, the value that the asset should accrue. Interesting, because we started off saying, once the incentives are gone, what does the adoption look like? And that's the fundamental value. But then you have to consider the actual tokenomics if you're going to invest in it, which is different than stocks. It's almost like you have this multifaceted thing where you could have 
widespread adoption, but the token could still go down because of poor tokenomics and unlocks and increasing supply, as you said. So, how is somebody supposed to figure that out? Yeah, it's it's really difficult. I mean, we're ten plus years in, and we're still figuring it out. But look, it 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 takes a while for any market to mature. You know, there wasn't, you know, there weren't frameworks for valuing equities in, you know, in the. I mean, there were companies thousands of years ago. There weren't necessarily frameworks for for valuing those companies, right? So I think uh, it, it's 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 going to take time, and I think we need to, you know, I think we need to bucket it out. Like, what is equivalent to equity markets and what can we take and what can we put into place and what is unique to crypto. And I think one of the things that our industry struggles with is I, I like to call crypto it's going to be a bit vulgar, but like the great dick swinging contest of like who can who can come up with the most ridiculous name to to name something as opposed to like, hey, why don't we just figure out what this thing is in light of equity markets? And in that way it can be more widely accepted. Like what is a hard fork, right? A hard fork is you're taking an asset, you're forking it, and now you have two assets. It's kind of like a dividend, right? Like there's ways to think about it. Like like a uh, a token burn is kind of like a stock buyback, right? And I'm not suggesting that we need to call it exactly a stock buyback, but I think when we're pr- presenting our educational content on this space, we should say what what is the equivalent in equity markets? And like none of us here are reinventing the wheel. Like we're not. We're taking shit. That exists in traditional markets and applying it to crypto, and I think we need to kind of have that approach as to how we as to how we communicate properly. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna get mainstream adoption if we're just throwing out all these ridiculously wor- words like liquidity mining and zk evm and optimistic rollups. Like let's just. Let's let's use English and let's talk about things in a plain way. And I think it's often hard to talk about things in a plain way because people don't under like the reason I think we throw our own words is because we ourselves don't yet understand everything, right? And I think we need to like if you can't explain why something exists or what it's doing or why it should accrue value in English, it probably shouldn't accrue value. Um, so kind of back to my point on on separating out the crypto native stuff from the traditional stuff. I think the things that can be thought about in a traditional context, like the on-chain data, we should be thinking about things like revenue and usage and retention and stuff like that. And I talked a lot about that yesterday. In terms of the stuff that's kind of unique or novel to crypto, I think there's a lot of really interesting things that we can be looking at. Like one of the really cool things is that everything in crypto is is open source code, which means we can now look at development activity. And there have been a lot of conversations, you know, thus far about like how many people are developing on this particular application. And I think that's theoretically kind of interesting, but practically it doesn't make any sense because I could literally go right now on my computer, fork the repo of a particular chain, and now it looks like I'm a developer on that chain. And so I think we need to start looking at like how can we fundamentally understand developer activity in crypto? And I think the best way to understand it is just like you look at churn of users, let's look at churn of developers. Like I want to know like where are the developers moving? And we can actually track, you know, we're doing this for our clients, for example, when developers on a particular chain are leaving and starting to develop on another chain because I want to know where are the smartest minds the developers looking and like we've seen this massive ship in development to like Cosmos as an example which has been quite interesting where a lot of the, the largest developers on particular applications like the number one most active developer on Thorchain I've used this example before just started developing on Cosmos a few months ago and I think it's really interesting to see like where the developer mindset is shifting because these are you know open platforms, right? We should be looking at what are the developers doing, where are they building, where is the attention shifting to? You know, I think we should be looking at um, you know you know other things that that are kind of similar and on chain is um, 
you know, you know, I think sentiment as an example, right? I think sentiment broadly in equity markets is kind of it's not great. And the reason it's not great is because there's not like a giant community of, you know, fanboys of FactSet, which is a publicly traded company, right? But there are massive communities that exist in crypto. And I think we do need to understand those communities and, and understand what they're talking about, what they're saying, and not just how much conversation, but what is the context of that conversation and how sophisticated it is. You mean the General Electric maxis are not a passionate community? But yeah, I mean, we joke about that all the time. And that's something that's very unique to crypto, though, is that you don't, when you're a stock trader, you're less emotionally attached, I guess, to the assets that you're trading. Same for Forex. You get into crypto and people have this sort of passionate, uh, community-driven view, and then they are blinded by that and probably don't make wise investment decisions accordingly. Chainlink chain took off because of 4chan. It was all 4chan, right? And it's it's... It's these small, like it's. It starts the pocket of people, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And look, I think there's use cases of of oracles, but no one knew what oracles were when Chainlink got started. No one was excited about Chainlink because of the underlying oracles. It was because of the Pepe memes that kind of united that community, right? And I think that's the case with a, with a lot of stuff in the space. You need to achieve critical mass and get things in front of them, and then you hope you can go from kind of social to actual, you know, application and usage. You guys serve as institutional clients, so you probably know better than anyone what they need to hear or what they want to see to actually start gaining exposure to this asset class. You talked about speaking in a way that they understand, stock buybacks, things like that. Is that just a function of poor education? Is that a barrier to them entering at this point? Do you still feel like they want to gain exposure, but they don't understand it well enough, so they can't actually come up with a thesis and meaningfully deploy capital? Or do you think that we're crossing that chasm? I think that, well, it depends who you're talking about. Like The hedge fund managers are some of the most sophisticated people in the entire world. They'll figure it out. Um, but I think that that education just slows adoption. And I think education in this space has historically been horrific um, in that it's so focused on being bullish at all costs, and it it sacrifices being practical and realistic and having real conversations. And and on top of that, you know, I, I think it's just not simple enough. Like I think there's really simple ways to explain these things. Uh, and explain how you can build conviction. I think one of the biggest challenges that exists in the space is the fact that information is just so siloed, right? And that's obviously what we try to solve for. We have a platform that aggregates everything for institutional clients. But like, you know, in you know, uh, if you go walk into a hedge fund manager's desk that's trading crypto, they have forty tabs open on their browser, right? They're going to website A, website B, website D, website E, website F. How are you ever going to help somebody onboard onto crypto? They're not going to find those 40 sources to get that information. So I think it comes down to education in plain English and then making making it a lot more accessible to actually actively participate in this market. Because, you know, as, as an asset manager or a fund, you're a steward of outside capital and you have the obligation to do your due diligence and and manage your risk like i think one of the other big barriers to adoption beyond education is like risk management like there are no portfolio risk analytics tools in crypto that have widespread adoption like people have no clue the types of risk that they're exposed to if i asked any of you guys about the smart contract risk of any token that you're you're actively holding you probably i couldn't tell you i don't know if you could tell me but like no one's no one's talking about this no one's talking about like there are other risks that no one's talking about that i think just needs to be need to be conveyed like for example a lot of the treasuries of token foundations have multi-sig wallets which means that there's you know a number of signers 
that need to sign off on a transaction for that treasury to actually move money. But the problem is, and no one is tracking this and no one knows, like certain, certain, certain wallets, I'm not going to call out a particular tokens, but one token that, that we, we were looking at this morning, they have 13 signers on their multi-sig, but only three need to approve a transaction, which means that for this particular token, if three people decide to be bad actors, they could totally siphon all the money out and, and no one would know, and no one's talking about this, right? And so I think, you know, if we really want to achieve broad adoption, not only do we need to have the education, not only do we need to explain what a multi-sig wallet is, why it matters, what are the implications of this, but we also need to aggregate that information in a single place because, you know, we're talking about all these ideas like developer activity and chain data and social sentiment data and news and all of the market-related risks like VAR and all these different things that needs to be easily accessible for somebody in a single place, or how are they ever going to be able to easily build conviction on the asset like everything that we're doing like i think the most bullish piece of news that just came out is bny mellon officially launched custody today that is awesome like one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we get from institutions is i don't have a qualified custodian now you have bny mellon who custodies 20 trillion dollars in assets and is probably already in some way custing a piece of your other assets kind of exposure so I think I think it all comes down to let's put this industry in English for people. Let's you know explain it, and, and I think it should be so exciting for people because who gives a shit if the the assets actually have any fundamental value? If you're a fund that's trading the asset, there's just there's so much opportunity in that. Like traditional assets have what's called alpha decay, right? Which is this idea that when you're trading equities, right? If you're looking at a particular signal, that signal has probably been accepted by thousands and thousands of firms throughout the world, which means that the value of that alpha, the signal, decays over time. In crypto, all of these things that I'm proposing, you guys probably haven't heard a lot of them, or you may have heard of some of them. Like They're novel ideas, which means that there is an alpha decay, which means that you can go trade on some of these strategies now and probably make an ungodly amount of money. You know, Granted, there's capital constraints on those strategies. like Maybe you can't do them with $500 million, but you can do them with 50 50 million. And I think that's really exciting for bringing large institutions into the space. It's like, hey, this is a totally novel market. Let's put it in English because there's so much more money to be made here. Maybe it's not on 20% of your AUM. Maybe it's on 1% of your assets that you have. But there's this is totally an untapped market. And I mean, we're seeing, I mean, I could tell you with certainty that 40 of the top 50 hedge funds in the world are in crypto or actively getting into crypto. It's so many more than you think it is. And they don't necessarily care about the longevity of these assets. They just care about making money. So it sounds like uh, we obviously saw in 2000, 2016, 2017, the massive arbitrage opportunities that people were taking advantage of. I mean, Bitcoin was literally $3,000 more expensive than South Korea than it was in the United States. Those, have finished, those, those inefficiencies are largely arbed out with time, but it sounds like there's still some massive inefficiencies as far as the data that people are consuming and the fundamentals that we're talking about, where someone who really digs in and understands this can have a massive edge that, to your point, doesn't exist in other markets. Yeah, I mean, no one is talking about this stuff, right? It's it's just total like no one had good unlock data. We have it now. There's so there's there's got to be something there, right? And and the most sophisticated funds in the world are going to figure out, you know, like signal lies at the intersection of a lot of different data points, right? If you look at one metric in isolation, you're going to have a ton of noise. But the way that people are going to find signal is by thinking very creatively about how you how you create 
or how you combine this this data. And I think that's really exciting to folks because look, you know, there are a lot of crypto fund managers out there that did really well over the last three or four years where they had no competition. Um, but now you're talking about, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know, know if I necessarily want to talk about anybody who's not publicly in crypto yet, but I think it's 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 public now that folks like Citadel and and Two Sigma and others are in this space, and they are incredibly sophisticated, uh, and and they are going to be able to uh, them and and dozens of other firms are going to be able to just find signal and 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 take existing models that they have for other asset classes, right? Which is which is why the explanations really matter. Um, and, and apply them. Right. You mentioned something earlier that I want to touch back on, which was creating a taxonomy for these assets, which I think is perhaps the most important thing that we lack. How do you define, put these into buckets? How do we create that tree so that people understand exactly what they're investing in and what's worth comparing? What's apples to apples and what's apples to oranges? Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, we, we've built it ourselves. I think we eventually, like, I, I don't, feel like I need to control that data. I think that's a commodity, right? Like there should be a publicly accepted, like we're happy to present ours if that's helpful to the market, but there should be a publicly accept, accepted asset taxonomy. Like we should know very clearly what a, you know, throw an asset out there is, like how, you know, what is the sector that it fits into? What's the se- subsector that it fits into? What are the layer ones that it exists on? Because I think at the end of the day, like when you think about investing, you should be like, I want to own the biggest, you know, let's say you're a bull on Solana. Well, you should want to own the best DeFi asset on that chain, right? And so I think we need to start building this categorization out because, you know, people aren't going to be able to make sense of the market if they're just like, you know, being like, oh, I'm going to look at coin market cap and try to figure out off the top of my head which of these 45 assets I should compare to one another because it just doesn't make any sense. And we also need it to build like thematic indices and things like that in the future. You talked about risk management. And I think obviously in equity markets, you can very easily manage risk, understand what's out there and the potential problems. How do you price in risk in crypto when you have a model, but then a simple hack or exploit? completely wipes your entire account and it's something you couldn't have accounted or planned for or prevented yourself. Yeah, look, I think that's partially why um, folks that are coming into this space that are larger are, are focused more on uh, off-chain trading where they're not necessarily engaging on the blockchains themselves. I think there's other problems with engaging on chains as well, like as it relates to the fact that like if you're a large institutional investor, you don't want to be trading with Iran. Uh, the U.S. government would not be all that impressed with that, and I think there's a lot that has to go into figuring out uh, on chain. Um, you know, I think I think a huge piece of it is going to be like the compliance aspect and, and who you're actually trading with. But I think. You know, I think we should be thinking about a lot of the market data related risks as well. Like we should be thinking about, for example, if an asset was to have a three standard deviation bad day, what is the drawdown that that would have on my portfolio, and how does that compare to a comparable asset? And that's where the taxonomy comes into play, right? If we're thinking about investing in layer ones, and let's say all things all things considered, you're pretty agnostic. Like you don't really care if you'd invest in Avalanche or Solana. Let's just say you you just want to have exposure to one. Well, then that's where you start looking at like the market data related risk. You look at like what is a really bad day look like for one of these assets? What is the drawdown? How correlated are the assets in my portfolio? And like one of the things that we're finding which is kind of shocking is like we're talking to funds that claiming that they're they're market neutral, but in reality they may be long an asset that has a really high, you know, the 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 their 
you know, high beta correlation to the S and P, and and in reality, it's not actually market neutral. Uh, and I think you need to start like building out factors and risk factors and risk models to try to assess what like what is even the market related risk because that's thing that exists in traditional markets. And I don't like I think if you went to most portfolio managers in crypto um, and you asked them, you know, what are the risk factors that you're considering um, in your investment decision? It would you basically get crickets, and I think that that is changing now. I think that you know the crash of this market and LPs like investors in these funds asking questions um, is going to change that. But on the smart contract related risk side, you know we need to be tracking a lot of different stuff. I think you know who the auditors are. I don't think there's been enough conversation about who does a good audit and who doesn't. Which percentage of you know, like for example, take auditor A. What percentage of the time when they audit an asset does it get hacked? If the answer is it only gets hacked half a percent of the time, right? Then I can have a lot of conviction in that underlying asset. So I think those are types of things that we need to be considering. Also, like when is the day since one of these? The, like when was the last time one of these assets was audited, and what changes, if any, were made to the protocol since that last audit? Because that's when risks can arise. Like there are a number of really Really good audit firms in crypto, where you know the reason that an asset got hacked is because they rolled out some upgrade to their smart contract and they didn't want to pay for another audit, and that's where the kind of risk risk lied. So I think we need to get that information in front of investors, and I think look, you just need to accept that there is going to be some level of risk that exists in this space. I mean, there's so much risk that exists in this space, and I think we just need to kind of price that into into how we're thinking about about assets, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that would be kind of my answer. Well, we're talking about how to look at the fundamentals of the crypto space and how to really quantify and value these assets. But you brought up an interesting point, which is correlation, right? Obviously, now we're in a place where the entire crypto market and Bitcoin are correlated to the S&P and, and global markets. But even when that wasn't the case, altcoins and everything in the space was largely correlated to Bitcoin, right? A big Bitcoin move destroyed everything indiscriminately all at the same time. So, how can fundamentals be important or even matter if everything is going to move together in massive waves. Yeah, I think there's a really important distinction here, which is one asset could go up 2%, another asset could go down 2% every day, and they're 100% correlated, right? And so correlation doesn't take that into account. An asset could go down 3%, another could go down 5%, and they could be entirely correlated. Um, but look, I, I don't think fundamentals are broadly accepted yet. I think we need to get to that point. I think we need to be having these discussions, and I think there are conversations. And I think we need to do some back testing on our assumptions as opposed to just like throwing ideas out without, without uh, testing them. But I do think we're starting to see outperformance and underperformance. There is a lot of there are tokens that are down 70% and there are other tokens that are down 97%. And yes, they both went down, but there's a really big discrepancy and difference in how much those assets went down. Like the difference between an asset going down 90% and another going down 99% is that one asset went down 90%, the other asset went down 90% and then it went down 90%, right? So there's a big difference. Uh, and I think that's where that taxonomy comes into play where we start to, you know, figure out, okay, I have conviction in this sector in this market and after all these incentives leave and and the, the, you know they dry up where where are the users remaining where are they and 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 is there a reason for me to hold the token or does the token not actually confer any you know value to me so i, I think we'll start to see that that break up and i think bear markets are the best way to 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 show winners and losers are there any final lessons that we can learn from equity markets and existing markets that need to be applied 
to the way that we view crypto in the future and the way that we value it? Yeah, I think I don't know if there's anything in particular, right? I think one thing that we've seen in in equity markets is, you know, there's still a level of investor emotion is still important, um, and it's something to be to be very aware of, right? I mean, I think right now we're in this really risk you know, risk off environment, um, you know, with everything that's happening with the Fed. Um, but I do think we need to understand that humans are humans, no matter what asset they're trading. Uh, and, and anything that we can do in terms of thinking about human behavior, like another good example of this, which is quite interesting. Like I've proposed that tokens should be doing token splits. So there have been a lot of research in equity markets that doing stock splits actually lead to very significant outperformance, right? So I don't know what exactly the number is, but there's been a ton of empirical research on it where like the average stock split leads to an, a stock outperforming the S&P by like 17% in the next year, right? So like if we see something like a token split when a token goes from hey, the token's 100 bucks to I'm going to give you 100 tokens and it's a dollar, right? We can learn from that, right? And so I think as we see things popping up in the crypto market, right? What we should do is is try to figure out what are the lessons that we can learn from other markets. Like what are the lessons from pets.com and what does that teach us about an asset in this space, you know, what are the lessons from anything that's happened over history? Because at the end of the day, this isn't novel. It's another asset class, uh, and investors are going to behave the same way, you know, no matter what it is. And so, look, look for corollaries because they're they're always there. Well, thank you so much for your time. We actually somehow ran over. That went by extremely quickly. Everyone, check out uh, Josh Frank, please, and uh, his company, The Tie. They're really doing incredible, incredible things. Thank you so much for taking the time again. Thanks for having me. That's dope.